one of the ways that I define toxic shame is that it's an interpretation of the feeling of shame where the problem seems to be global, permanent, and externally referenced. And in today's episode, I kind of want to zoom in on the permanent aspect of toxic shame because it's something that's really present in my life right now. Getting Discomfortable with Impermanence The permanent interpretation of shame can show up in several different ways. The kind of the most basic for me is that I assume that this shame signals something wrong with me, some kind of flaw, some kind of deep essential badness or unworthiness or harmfulness or whatever whatever word kind of works for you. And whatever that kind of bad seed is inside of you, it's believed to be essentially permanent, unchanging. There's something bad about you or something that has been kind of broken in you and it's now broken and bad forever. That's that's it. You're you're sullied. You're you're ruined. You're you're defective now. And it's hopeless. It's just like that's you. So there's no no real hope or sense that this issue could be resolved or healed or reframed or fixed even, something like that. Another aspect of toxic shame that can seem permanent is some sort of interpersonal rupture. Shame is often triggered by a sense of disconnection or not belonging, some kind of rupture with another person or group that is important to us. And toxic shame makes it seem like that is permanent, that it can never be fixed. The people will never like you, will never, you'll never be able to belong with them, you'll never reconnect with them, you'll never fit in with them again, or if you feel like you're being kind of rejected or judged or scorned or mistreated, it's a sense that, well, that's how it is now. That's what this relationship is. This, this relationship is now forever sullied and ruined And there might even be a sense that you're the one who forever sullied and ruined it. So it's broken. There's no solution. You'll never be able to repair the rupture. You'll never be able to make amends or be forgiven or whatever it is that needs to happen to make this relationship work again. It's just impossible. So that's another kind of permanent interpretation of shame. And then the final form of impermanence is one that I really want to dig into. And it's the sense that you will permanently be caught in suffering. Shame is painful. It is this unpleasant sensation. Some people speculate that it's the most unpleasant sensation that we have in our body. 
And I think this is true of a lot of emotions, that when you're feeling them, you kind of feel like, well, this is reality now. This is the truth. This is forever. So shame being so unpleasant can trick us into thinking, wow, essentially I'm going to be trapped in this unpleasant shame sensation for the rest of my life. And as you can see, all these different like permanent interpretations kind of fuel each other. Because there's something permanently wrong with me, I'm going to be permanently in the feeling of shame and pain and suffering, and I'm permanently going to be disconnected from everyone else, which is going to lead to more pain and suffering permanently. So it's kind of this vicious triangle, as it were. The truth is that all emotions are temporary. All emotions are impermanent. They are constantly shifting and changing. Sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down, sometimes we're aroused, sometimes we're collapsed, sometimes we're flooded, and sometimes we're overwhelmed, and sometimes we're relaxed and at ease. But shame has this tricky quality where it it makes me think that it's kind of the truest emotion. It's like, when I go into shame, my brain starts to think, oh, this is reality. This is base reality. This is real. This is how things actually are. And whatever other pleasant feelings I temporarily went into, ultimately they collapsed or faded or weren't really real. And I'm back to ground. And ground is pain and shame. So it's interesting because, you know, I've never actually sat down and actually recorded how long each emotion lasts to get a sense of, you know, what percentage of my time am I actually in shame? And and what percentage of my time am I actually feeling quite good or just neutral? I actually don't have that data, but it feels like I'm mostly in some kind of pain. Well, maybe not mostly, but like often enough. And I'm I'm not sure that that's really true because I think we have a habit as an animal of kind of giving more attention to the negative. You know, we, we have a negativity bias, many researchers speculate, because to pay attention to the negative keeps us safer. That's where, you know, survival gets threatened, is in the negative, in the unpleasant area. You know, I've talked about this a long time ago in my kind of original shame essays, but it you know if if we look at the positive side all the time i think we're in greater danger of dying in theory because we're less defended and protected that that may have only been true back when we were hunter gatherers you know it actually might be quite a bit safer in the modern world to pay attention to the pleasant side and kind of optimistically imagine the best you know i don't know but I think we're still wired in such a way that it feels safer to pay closer attention to 
a sense of pain, a sense of danger, a sense of problem, a sense of negative. So it might not actually be true that I spend a significant amount of time feeling shame and pain. It might just be that that's what gets the most attention. That's what kind of gets recorded and remembered the most. It's this misinterpretation that toxic shame predisposes us to. And I think another interesting thing happens when I'm in shame. It's like my memory connects the dots of all the times I've been in shame and kind of makes it seem like that's all one thing. Like it's all the same shame. That This probably explains why shame can feel like base reality, like the background. It, it, it somehow says, oh, this is the shame you're always feeling. This isn't a temporary emotion that's been triggered and will soon fade. This is the same shame you've always been dealing with. And any time you haven't been in it has just been some kind of distraction. And all these shames are one long line. So it's almost like when I'm in suffering, it feels cumulative. It sort of seems like it's been building and building and building. And that that's so kind of disempowering and exhausting. It's like, oh, we're back to this again? Like, I thought we got over this. I thought we escaped this. So you can kind of see right there, I thought we got over this. I thought we escaped this. It suggests that I'm not holding this shame as just a temporary thing. I'm holding it as like this this background space or this dungeon that I need to escape from into some kind of pleasure. And so then when I do go into pleasure, it's like I'm thinking, oh, I've finally gotten out of jail. So now I should be out of jail forever. You know, I've, I've escaped it. I've escaped that place. So I'm kind of psychologically, implicitly, this is all unconscious, setting myself up for disappointment when the impermanent nature of pleasure also passes. All feelings are temporary. Everything is impermanent. So, of course, pleasure is not some, you know, place that I've earned and gotten to forever, like heaven. And shame is not some dungeon that I'm trapped in forever that I need to distract myself from and and or break out of. These are just ephemeral spaces. But the, the nature of how I psychologically interpret them makes them that much more kind of solid and real. It, it, it exacerbates them. It goes to show that emotional states really change based on how we hold them, how we kind of view them and interpret them in a meta sense. It might be the exact same feeling in your body. But if your brain is saying, this is a prison that I'm always trapped in, versus, oh, we're back to this temporary weirdness, it it makes such a big difference. 
And I do the same thing on the positive side. I can't expect the positive side to last forever or it will be so much more painful when the impermanent nature of reality switches me into pain again. It's like I'm setting myself up for a bigger fall. And I see this with clients all the time, and I get it. It's so frustrating when you find yourself back in shame after you've spent a period feeling like you'd kind of gotten over it, like you'd fixed it, like you'd healed it. I know how depressing and disappointing it is to realize that that's not how it works. We can't just forever get rid of it. My mentors at the Center for Healing Shame, Brett Lyon and Sheila Rubin, they talk about healing as getting over shame more quickly. So it's not about not going into shame. That expectation is a setup for for even greater pain. It's about kind of accepting that we will go into shame, but having the confidence and the faith that we'll be able to get out of it that much quicker. So it's almost like we're embracing the impermanent nature of these emotions and we're just hoping for a quicker turnover, you know, like a a little bit more time in the pleasant zone and a little bit less time in the unpleasant zone, but not this setup for failure of no more unpleasantness whatsoever. And I know cognitively, like, yes, of course, I'm going to feel bad sometimes, but it's hard to remember that in the moment when you've had a nice kind of shame-free period, and then you get hit by the same kind of shame feeling that, you know, you've associated with the past or childhood or something you've gotten over. It's kind of like a relapse. I appreciate that when you're struggling with some kind of addictive pattern, that it really helps to to embrace and know that a relapse is almost inevitable. Not not in a fatalistic, like, why even bother trying? I'm going to relapse. More, again, embracing the impermanent nature of reality to, to just say it's not realistic to expect that this powerful addictive pattern is just going to break forever and be gone. It's a piece of wiring that's in me. It's It's habituated to some degree. So it's actually safer and wiser to plan around relapses, to say, okay, there will be relapses, most certainly. What am I going to do when the relapse happens? What systems, what backup plans am I going to put into place that make a relapse, in a way, kind of okay, or at very least, um, something that you've got a plan for? And, And I get it. I can see how it's a thin line. If, if a relapse is okay, well, then maybe that's going to make it more likely that you relapse. So I can see why you might want to push back against that. But at the same time, if you have this unrealistic expectation that you will never relapse, the inevitable relapse will be that much more crushing and defeating, and then you might just entirely give up. So it definitely seems wise to have at least a backup plan for when a relapse happens. And I think it's true for emotions. 
we want to have a kind of backup plan for when shame inevitably recurs. Even our most childish shame, our even our oldest shame, even our most ridiculous shame, the shame that we thought we healed years ago. It's like we we want to have a backup plan and an expectation that that could happen and that that's okay and that that makes sense and that that's normal. And here are the steps we're going to take when that happens. So lately, I have experienced some shame, and I've had that classic reaction. You know, for me, as someone who, you know, teaches about shame and helps people heal their shame and all that is supposedly this, like, shame expert, even though I don't like the word expert. I I prefer to call myself a shame educator or a shame coach, something like that. But I do have that kind of, that image, that reputation. That's, That's kind of what I'm selling. So when I get hit by shame, you can completely imagine how easy it would be for me to go into like, what? I'm a fraud. Like, who do I think I am? This again? This old core childhood shame? Like, really? Oh my goodness. Have I made no progress? Have I, have I done nothing? Like, what a, what a disaster. That is so easy for me to go into, as well as these, these old patterns of this is the truth this is reality, this is what's behind the surface all the time, like my happiness is just a veneer against this shame, things like that. It's so easy to fall into that. It's so easy to kind of give up, to get hopeless, to be like, this will never end, this this background shame will never go away. And I have to remind myself, I'm not in shame all the time. I'm really not. This is why I originally started keeping a joy log, just a list of things that have brought me joy in the week. So when I go into this kind of hopeless shame, I pull out my joy log and I look at it and I remind myself, remember just a couple of days ago, you felt joy when you were walking in the woods. You weren't in shame then. And you weren't you know, hiding your shame with joy. It wasn't like the truth in the background. That joy was everything in that moment. But of course, it's temporary and it passes. And it feels like shame is everything in this moment, but it's temporary and it will pass. I can can start to see it because I, I can really, I can really honor that I don't always feel exasperated by shame. Even sometimes when I am in shame, it's not exasperating. So this is really important. Some shame attacks are fine with me. It's like, oh yeah, of course, of course some shame is coming up right now. That makes complete sense. Like, look at what's happening. No big deal. So I am in shame. It's not like I'm in pleasure in that moment, but I'm not in that exasperated permanent interpretation. So it's a healthier form of shame. And there is healthy shame. So I have to remind myself that this, this version of toxic shame that I'm interpreting as permanent and hopeless, that that really is a sporadic experience. It happens to me a handful of times each year, and it's really unpleasant. It's, it's a really powerful form of shame. But I can clearly see that I'm not in that all the time. 
So the message that this is how it is, that this is the truth, it's just like, it falls apart. So it's important to catch what you're in, to catch the toxic shame, to, to see the interpretations and create a little bit of space from them in order to see the bigger picture and remind yourself, yeah, it feels like this is permanent and forever and I will be in suffering forever and everything is ruined and it will never be better. But I can literally remember a time when that wasn't true and that will be not true in the future again and then I'll feel it again and then I won't and it'll just come back and forth and that's life. And that might seem a little disappointing. You might be like, I don't want a life where I ever get caught up in the belief that things are permanently awful. And I get that, you know? Yeah, I get it. Don't we all want that? But that's, that is a clinging to permanence. You know, if, you, if you're Buddhist or into kind of Eastern philosophy, you're going to know that impermanence is one of the core teachings of Buddhism and other wisdom traditions. So, to some extent, the most enlightened sages, it's not that they're, you know, in pleasure all the time, like you just figure something out and then you feel joy for the rest of your life. I think it's more that they're so embracing of impermanence that they're not surprised when pain comes in. Therefore, they're able to hold and accept and cushion that pain in a way that doesn't exacerbate it. So it becomes a kind of a healthy pain, like that healthy shame that I was able to just tolerate and say, yeah, this makes sense. There's probably a healthier way to hold on to pain by just, of course, oh, now we're in pain. Like that's the impermanent nature of reality. So it's, a, it's an embracing and a, and a meta perspective that allows for pain to land in the most accessible way. I don't know what word to use here. And, you know, it's, it's, it's getting discomfortable. It's the title of this podcast. It's, it's not that it is comfortable. It's not that it's not painful. It's not that it isn't shame. But it's tolerable. It's the kind that I can deal with. And even when I catch myself in the kind of pain or shame that I interpret as, I can't deal with this, I can at very least remind myself, well, this too shall pass. This is also temporary. I am not in this all the time. I have not been in this all the time, and I will not be in this forever. You just need to spot the belief, the interpretation, that this is permanent in order to let it go. That's all. You need to catch it. You need to create that little bit of awareness, which is almost like distance, which just allows for an expanded menu, an expanded viewpoint. That's it. So just look out for it. That's all you have to do. Just notice it. If you want to explore themes like shame and impermanence, I'm offering a bunch of cool events like shame circles and some free shame discussion groups on Meetup. 
And I'm also in the middle of finishing a four-week shame course, which I will be doing again later in the fall in another cohort. So you can go to my website at discomfortable.net slash events and see what group things I'm cooking up. And I would love it if you were to join one and dive into the conversation.